0: Hello, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool with your host, Erin Peterson, partner and global talent acquisition consultant with People Results. In each episode, Erin interviews a corporate head of talent acquisition to shine a light on how they got there, what keeps them up at night, and their views on all the hot topics in TA Today. There's nothing Erin is afraid to ask because she's been there. Now here's your host, Erin Peterson. Peterson.
1: Welcome to Episode 40 of Big Fish in the Talent Pool, where you have a big treat waiting for you. Jacob Kramer of U.S. Express joins me to talk about all things conversational AI, TA technology, and his really interesting career in really kind of carving out a niche for himself in high-volume recruiting and making that more effective and efficient and candidate-friendly. So you've got that coming up. But before we get there, a couple of reminders about some interesting things coming up in the world of TA. My sponsor RPOA has RPOA Con coming up in October, October the 12th. So if you are either a buyer or a provider of RPO services, you are going to want to be there. Or if you're just interested in RPO and what's going on, they've got it all. So sign up for that virtual conference. And then ATAP, of course, is sponsoring Global TA Day, basically 24 hours worth of great TA content and celebration of our industry and of our profession. So be sure to join in to all that. And uh, in the meantime, listen for all the great TA leaders that I am so privileged to be able to get on the line, to be able to talk about what they're doing, including Jacob Kramer. Here he comes. Hi, everyone. This is Aaron Peterson, and I want to welcome you to the Big Fish in the Talent Pool podcast. We have today with us Jacob Kramer of U.S. Express, and he is episode number 40. So, Jacob, welcome to the podcast.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: We are going to talk about all kinds of things today. That is primarily, of course, your career, because I'm really interested for my listeners to hear about where you've been and how you've built this really amazing career that you've had in talent acquisition leadership. But first, I I just want to kind of admit that the way we originally met was because I was doing some research for a client on conversational AI, and you have been in the middle of a well, a current big implementation, but you've done that a couple of times, a couple of places. before we kind of jump into your career and where you've been, to, you know, say a word or two about how you have latched on to conversational AI as a great solution for, especially an organization like US Express, who hires a ton of drivers, right?
2: Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So yeah, thanks for having me today, Aaron. I appreciate mm-hmm. it. Uh- yeah, so how did I latch on to conversational AI? I, I think AI is kind of like the buzzword, right, that everybody jumps to. It's a mix of conversational AI, RPA, um, but I think where I kind of latched on to that within my career is how do you make it how do you make things easier, faster and more convenient for the candidate, right? And that kind of all ties together with that and it, and it goes holistically throughout recruiting, too, right? So I, th- I think uh, as you as you look into different type of solutions and what is going to work, a lot of times all paths lead back to that.
1: Yeah. And so what I hear in there is it's actually about the candidate experience.
2: I think it's a mix of both, right? So I think can- sometimes uh-huh. when I think candidate experience, I'll say candidate experience, but I even think of my team's experience too, right? A lot a of lot mm-hmm. times people will hear AI or, or see some of the work I've done and immediately think, hey, that means that we're eliminating jobs and that That isn't the case. You have to look at it from both sides. How do you make it easier for the candidate, better candidate experience? But then on the flip side, how do you make it easier, faster, better for your team as well? Yeah,
1: agreed. Okay, well, and we'll talk about all the facets of that. But let's start at the beginning. You um, actually are from Minnesota originally, right?
2: Yeah, you can hear it. I might throw like a you betcha or something.
1: And like so that. am I. Yeah, sure. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> and uh, I think you went to Saint Cloud Tech, yeah. Votech Is yeah. that right? Yep. Cloud, I don't know oh, if they yeah. call it that anymore. But um, anyway, yes. Yeah. So and and I'm I'm from the Twin Cities originally, and I know Saint Cloud very well. Yep. And that whole uh, sort of uh, you know Minneapolis metro area, including you know the kind of northern suburbs that go up yep. to Saint Cloud. So start there. What? What? Uh, how did how did that come about? And Where were you headed when you originally decided on that educational path?
2: met my wife at a very young age and ended up having a baby at a very Mm -hmm. young age and had to Mm -hmm. make a decision of... uh You know, we got a little girl coming along and I've got to get to work really fast and want to provide her with kind of just an incredible life. And, you know, my dad didn't have to tell me, I kind of kicked myself into gear and got going, right? And so (laughs) I went to school and then got right to work. Uh, I've always said recruiting, you know, and recruiting has changed so much over the past 10, 15 years. But back when recruiting has always been, I I felt personally like sales, right? And, And you can tie a lot of those attributes to sales. And so right out of college, went to work. Uh, It was a company actually called Dobson Cellular. It was purchased by AT&T later, uh, but went to work as a retail sales rep. Um, And within like two, three months, uh, one of our district leaders was like, Hey, you're really, really good at talking to people. Um, Have you ever thought about recruiting? And I was like, "Mm, no. And he's like, okay, well, day one, like, you're going (laughs) to, you're going to get out there and start doing this. And so uh, just kind of progressed from there, worked in recruiting with companies, uh, like AT and T did RPO through Comcast, Regis Corporation, and now US Express. I've I've skipped a couple in there, um, but mm-hmm. really, really cool companies. And I would say my background lands within this high volume. And I always I always think of recruiting in like three sectors, right? So there's like this left sector, which is your technical, technology, IT type of recruiting. It's where all the money's at, probably the direction I should have went in. Um, and then you look at this middle piece, which is your corporate recruiting, great career path, uh, great position, all about candidate experience. And then there's this this side path, which is your high volume, right? And typically, high volume, you have to make huge swings in order to uh, have success. It's very low margin that you're working with. Um, and typically, the recruits you're recruiting for are driving the revenue. Um, so it's kind of that sector, I would say is kind of where all of us crazy people live. And that's, that's where I really enjoy
1: <laughs> the gluttons for punishment Yeah. <laughs> over yeah. on the high volume. <laughs> yeah. And so, so back up here, because it sounds like somebody gave you some, uh, feedback or advice, you know, that you're really good at talking to people,
2: but you're a self-described introvert. So how did that work? You just sort yeah. of, you're a talkative introvert or what? I don't know if it's a top. I like to build relationships with people, but I am not the person that gets up on stage. I I remember speaking at ERE two, three years back. The VP, Jeff Lackey of CVS, gave me really good feedback afterwards, said, yeah, you did a great job. And in my mind, when I stood up there, I was like, I could throw up on stage here. This is is so (laughs) uncomfortable. So I am not the type of person that likes to be on stage. Um, you know this, doing this podcast, I think I rescheduled four or five times, right? And so it's just, this is not, it's outside my comfort zone, which is why I do it though, right? It's I think it's yeah. good to push yourself outside your comfort zone. But um, I think where, where he says, I really like building relationships with people. I care a lot about people. I care a lot about the organization. I always make a joke with uh, my wife. You know, I worked at ATT and t and this was years back. And if I still in certain areas may not, even if my... If my house did not have cell phone service, I would still use at and I just, I think that, that piece, I just get passionate about the company and care about people. So not an extrovert, definitely an introvert, but like okay. building relationships. Okay.
1: And and uh, you sign up for the mission, it sounds like.
2: Yes. When you, yeah, when you join an
1: organization them. and you commit to finding their talent, you're all about it. Yeah. Very cool. Well, that um, helps you run through walls in ways that you know maybe wouldn't be able to if you didn't really care about yeah. the, the product. So the the high volume, the in the case of U.S. Express, let's get into the details. How many drivers are they hiring every year, or are, are you hiring for them every
2: year? I'll say unlimited. We would take as uh-huh. many drivers as you could, as we <laughs> could possibly get, right? Especially in the market we're in right now. But uh, you know, as an organization, we. Uh, I, I think right now, maybe 8,000 plus or minus employees, um, drivers are typically a hundred percent turnover. Um, mm-hmm. so it's constant. I mean, and it's just like any other high volume at same exact way, uh, craziness, nonstop recruiting. Um, yeah. so some of this stuff I'm sure we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you do that efficiently? But, um, you know, how do you try to make it so you're not constantly trying to fill the top of the pipe? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of recruiting nonstop.
1: Right. And and hang on to the candidates that are. viable that are in the middle of the pipe, um, especially and push them over the line. We're going to get there. But first, I want to kind of finish out your uh, sort of career path. So you're an ambitious guy. You have little by little taken on greater responsibility. And now you're in a position where you're really making a difference that you bring to the table. You're not sort of operating under somebody else's direction at this point. My guess is you're bringing the solutions. Mm -hmm. How did you make that? How'd you turn that corner? There's there's a lot of I think professionals out there who want to be leaders but they're kind of foggy about how to how to stop being order takers and start being leaders. So what what did that look like for you?
2: Yeah, and I might not answer this perfectly for you, but I think I think you have to be open and vocal about what your ambitions are, right? So a lot of people are leaders, they may be nervous about taking that leadership role, but how do you know if you're Ever going to be good at it if you don't do it, right? And so I have been fortunate and very lucky to have met some great mentors along my career path. And I remember one individual, and I've got a couple of quotes that constantly are floating in my head, right? But one of them was put it out into the universe, right? Like if you want to do something, do it. Tell people you want to do it. Get out there and do it. Don't wait for someone to tell you to do it. And so one of my goals, you know, I remember. Or sitting back and saying by the time I was 30 I wanted to be a VP 35 I want to be an SVP and by the time I'm 40 I want to be chief right and so put it out there have those conversations my leader I have an unbelievable boss right now she knows that um, my prior uh, leader at uh, Regis Corporation was a turnaround executive I've got you know 10 20 quotes that float around from her same advice from her get get out there and do it and I, I think that's where that pivotal move came out say that part of that too, is that, you know, I said, don't wait around for somebody to t- to give it to you. There's certain things that you'll see, especially within talent acquisition, right? We get the candidates we provide this great candidate experience, but we see the issues within the organization once they start, uh, you know, their first 90 days, what's their career path look like? And I, I will say, you know, I've worked with a lot of talent acquisition leaders where we'll have those conversations. We'll look at solutions that kind of ends there, right? We kind of expect HR to take that over operations, and one of the, you know, ask what is that pivotal moment is when you kind of take that over, right? And say, okay, I see a problem. I, I've got ideas of solutions. I, you don't have to, you don't have to, it's the best way to say it, you don't have to take credit for it, right? There's individuals that you can partner with so that they they get bought in and can help execute on it. I would say for me, that was probably that pivotal role of, hey, I see these issues, I don't need to be, I told you I'm not an extrovert, so I don't need to be the one beating my chest that I came up with the idea or running around the building saying that we had this success. Let Help lift some others up by providing them with different ideas um, and solutions, partnering with them and kind of just owning it and executing to make it better for the business. At the end of the day, If it's a positive for the candidate, it's a positive for our team and it drives an economic return for the business. I think that point number three is extremely important too. Um, It's a win-win for everybody.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You can't just make improvement for the sake of improvement. It has to have a purpose and business case and all that. But what I hear you talking about is the willingness and ability to take a risk, Mm -hmm. to have the confidence, to know that if I'm going to put it out there and tell my boss I want to be promoted, they're going to have high expectations and probably give you the, the tougher assignments or at least expect bigger things than what yes. you're currently delivering and so it's so it's just a sort of a personal risk around that whole accountability but my guess is you would say it makes you better because yeah, you
2: fail you, you have something to live up to right yeah and and you're going to I mean sometimes you know I I've done a couple different articles with different organizations and that one of the you know sometimes people ask questions like oh it seemed really fast it seems pretty easy it's like nothing is easy anything that's (laughs) worth doing is not it's going to be difficult and you are going to film you know i've been at us express a year and a half we've done all sorts of different things i mean we had a lot to do here but we have failed many 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 times and we will fail many times forward um but each day we make improvement right and that's not just here that would be at regis alorica at comcast um, so yeah you did de- you definitely fail forward.
1: okay but in order to have the confidence to do stuff that means you might have a failure here and there, you need a safety net. so so talk about your leadership and how they create that for you so that you know you're not going to be on the altar of sacrifice yeah, if something fair. goes wrong.
2: That's fair. So before you ever present um, I'm gonna give a story of what happened and anybody that might be listening uh, from a Regis executive team they will all remember this story but I think you I think as long as you're very transparent and come with, I'm going to, I'll use the Regis story. So, you know, I was at Regis and I had an idea on automation um, and their, their issue, you think of a beauty school student, right? That they go into school, no parents are pushing uh, their kids to go into beauty school, right? It's a super, super difficult uh, industry to go into. And on top of that, they come out of school and they're not making much income, right? They start at minimum wage plus tips, which is a very difficult role. And so when I came with that solution to them, they were going through a turnaround. So I had a turnaround CEO in there, anytime you're in a turnaround, everything you do needs to drive an economic return. And so coming into there, I'm going to talk about failing forward, I came in with all of these different ideas, a list of options, and I got skin day live in that meeting, right? Darcy, I remember looking I remember looking at my old my old boss across the table or prior boss across the table and her just looking at me and I was like, "Yep, yeah, I made a huge mistake. You're not coming in with a bunch of ideas, but no economic return. So where I'm going with that, what's your safety net? Everything has to be based off data, right? So um, I am always over the top transparent. I, we've got a plan together. We've got contingencies within that plan and everything is based around data because these short failures If you focus so much on the little tiny things that fail, you're never going to get to the long-term goal. So as long as your leadership has that roadmap of what the long-term goal is with data baked within there and timelines, execution dates you have a safety net. And I would almost almost argue that, you know, a lot of times you shouldn't need a safety net from your leader. You should kind of create your own safety net, right? As long as you've got that plan together. And and again, full transparency, sometimes the plan doesn't work. And you have to be able to go back to your leader and say, hey, here's where I messed up. Here's where we didn't calculate it correctly. As long as you have that transparency, a plan in place everything based off data, it's very quickly easy. It's easy to pivot in order to make sure you have that safe. Everybody knows what's going on. There's no surprises. Yeah.
1: The no surprises thing is huge. Um, yep. in, in my experience, especially as a leader and also working with my own leaders so that they never feel blindsided. They all yep. know what's coming up. Yes, it might not work, whatever it is that we're trying to imp- implement, but th- even that's not a surprise to them. Um, so, so back up and talk about what data. Like you, you know, every recruiting leader has or should have a scorecard with metrics. And are we talking about that kind of data, or are you talking about other data that allows you to put uh, to implement innovation? and it's really more project based data.
2: Yeah, I think it depends on the organization what's important to them, right? So, at US Express, they've got all sorts of different metrics that are important to the economic return of the business. Regis was totally different. The data that was important to them in a turnaround was it was the I mean, it was somewhat similar but quite a bit different. Alorica totally different as well. I think when I when I talk about data a lot of times, I don't even think talent acquisition metrics. I think of how does talent acquisition play within the big rocks or objectives within the organization.
1: Mm-hmm. So, if uh, at that original meeting at Regis, you had come prepared with the data to support your big ideas, what would that have looked like?
2: We had a great plan in place. I mean, we did tons of. Uh, we had a roadmap together. We we knew exactly where we wanted to get and how quickly we wanted to get there. The biggest piece I missed there is how was it going to drive an economic return mm-hmm. in that specific situation. I mean, we talked about filling positions, the speed of positions the franchisees that need to be involved, the brands it was going to impact, which brands drove the greatest amount of revenue, the fastest, and how we... Pip- I mean, there was so much that we came prepared. The one piece that I was missing in that entire presentation, I should have known better in a turnaround, is what is the economic return?
1: Yeah. Either reduce CapEx or increase revenue. That's yes.
2: basically what it all comes um, down to. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: And be able to quantify it. Uh, let's get back to you know, kind of your personal career. So you, um, at some point, moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee. So yeah. you're Minnesota, born and red boy, and all of a sudden you end up in Tennessee. What was, what happened? Where How'd yeah. that happen?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so kind of a crazy story. Um, so right, I've got that personality where I see a challenge and I'm like, Hey, we've got to figure out how to fix this challenge. Right. And so a lot of times I'm trying to think of the words to say for this. So you most people go into an organization and see something, and be like, okay, this is this is comfortable. We've kind of got a status quo here, and this isn't an insult to anybody, right? But it's it's comfortable. That is not the type of organization I usually look for. So, like, I'm going to go to Regis, and then how I got Chattanooga at Regis, I shared. Super difficult to recruit, right? It's a, it was nonstop, and then on top of that complexity, you have all sorts of different brands, and then on top of what you know, add to that complexity. You don't have one customer within that organization, right? You have franchisees all across the globe, right? And so the complexity of trying to figure out solutions within that organization was just unbelievable. And we came you know, at the point where what at, at that point in time, we were going through a turnaround. We were able to achieve what uh, the executive leadership was out to uh, execute on. And then I thought, well, what is extremely difficult? And I have always said trucking. Trucking is extremely difficult. I mean, you, anytime you talk about a hard to fill position, a lot of the roads lead back to trucking, right? Mm-hmm. Difficult to recruit. This in US Express is going through a digital transformation, which was super enticing too. You know, this is not your typical trucking company. Uh, they have really evolved into a tech company. Long story short thinking of what I've done in the past, really what we executed at Regis, um, I thought, how could we do this within trucking? Now, exactly what we did at Regis, I shared, you know, it depends on what your executive leadership's goal is, is not the same as what uh, US Express's goal is. But how do you take this technology, people, solutions, and implement within trucking? I know it's going to be extremely difficult. And I remember emailing the CEO and CHRO of US Express and said, hey, here's what I can bring to the table. Here's kind of a couple different case studies. Here's what I see. And I would love to just have a conversation. Our CHRO, she was like, this is really interesting um, and something that could be applicable here. And so I had a great conversation and got a long-term plan together and uh, now in Chattanooga, Tennessee.
1: So, so hang on, you contacted them.
2: Yes. Yep. I contacted And did that. you
1: even know they had an opening, or it was just sort of I want to work in this industry, and this is the company that I'm interested in? Or did you did you send a similar email to a bunch of CEOs of trucking companies? It
2: was just this organization. So, um, so I've I've wanted to get prove all some different concepts within trucking. This organization is going through a digital transformation. Um, they've got just all sorts of different things going on uh, that are very unique. With that, you think of trucking. A lot of the things in trucking are very I don't want to say outdated, but you know you're looking. You know, I think people traditional, trucking, I would yeah, it. and I and I think people in trucking would admit that. You know, a lot of people have an appetite to do something new. It's just hard to do in this space. And they're kind of they're, U.S. Express isn't waiting around for that to happen, right? They they are definitely making waves.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting the comment that you said that the CEO made. You know, somebody from a hair company, and and, uh-huh. and I don't really blame him or her for that. I I feel like that is the bias that a lot of senior executives have, and that is I need somebody from my industry, somebody who understands wh- how it works at this particular kind of a culture or this industry, this geography. You know, fill in the blank. It's sort of I need somebody who already understands. They don't want to ramp anybody up. So you have dispelled that myth, I guess, or, or do, they, yeah, do you think I, there is still I, some industry bias?
2: I think within the industry, absolutely. Yes. Within the industry, absolutely. I would say our CEO, polar opposite, right? And I don't know if I disrupted that far. I would love to take credit for it, but I don't know if I, if I did. <laughs> but, Go ahead. Uh, you know, I have corporate uh, recruiting as well that falls within our organ, and a lot of times, you know, not, and we still pull from trucking, right? There's unbelievable talent within the trucking space, um, but a lot of the recruiting that we go for for our corporate candidates come from with outside trucking now, right? And so mm-hmm. there's a there's unbelievable talent that are coming in that are just absolutely disrupting this space uh, that have never been in trucking before. So I think it's a mix of both, but um, definitely seek out candidates that may not come from this space, but that have experience that would would drive extreme value here.
1: Yeah. Okay. And uh, I'm going to call out the opposite of what I've seen as well. And that is sometimes I hear leaders say to recruiters on the team, you know, maybe we ought to think about somebody from a different industry. And some recruiters can't get their head wrapped around that. Like they're so used to just embedding themselves in the industry, looking for people at direct competitors that they have a difficult time branching out. So what, you know, what, what advice would you give to a recruiter who's getting that request from a senior leader?
2: You know, and this is just my personality, right? But I would jump on board, right? I mean, what's, what's, what's it hurt to try to have conversations with somebody who might be from with outside the industry? And to be honest, sometimes you have those conversations, you get all sorts of different ideas. That maybe if you re- if your company really feels strongly like or you feel strongly that there's some great talent within your industry, maybe you take that experience and start having those questions with other candidates that you're talking to within the industry. Maybe they have that skill set or you'll come to realize like, wow, this could be a big differentiator for us. Yeah. So I would jump on board. I mean, but that's that's a little bit of my personality. Yeah. I, would, I would be two feet in. <laughs> Th-
1: throw the net wider. Why not? Right. If you're a regular listener, you know that I often ask my guests about what they're loving in TA technology these days. And I'm back here with Josh Zwayne of Paradox, the makers of Olivia, the conversational AI solution. On one of my last podcasts, the head of TA I was talking to said she still needs convincing when it comes to conversational AI being a a viable tool for her team. What do you say to TA leaders who are still a little skeptical?
2: Probably the question you get is, does it remove the human element? And I'd actually like push back on that a little bit and say, um, It's not very human right now when when candidates get ghosted or, you know, they don't get questions answered or they fall into some black hole. So, you know, really, we try to set out to solve the problem of, you know, where does it make sense to apply technology to make the experience better? And where should humans still be involved? And how do we how do we make those humans more effective at their jobs? We don't view this as a replacement for recruiters. Um, We view it as a as a tool to make these recruiters more effective at their jobs and, you know, frankly, to get them out from behind the computer screen and talking to people again.
0: How
1: else can my listeners connect with Paradox?
2: Sure. So we built an actual uh, demo experience. If anybody wants to test it out, they can text Big Fish to 25000 on their on their cell phone. It's not a full Olivia experience. I think it's an intro and it's a gateway and it's, it's the start of a conversation.
1: All right. And I appreciate the Big Fish connection. Great to talk to you as always. And we'll be in touch. So let's now talk about the, the U.S. Express um, solutions that you have brought in. And let me back up a little bit. You joined them before the pandemic, right? Just slightly before? Or My it was
2: March 16th. I remember joining, walking in, and people were being escorted out of the building. Oh, um, goodness. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's like the first day of COVID breakout. All
1: right. Well, and there, it, I mean, when you think about the whole supply chain disruption that happened during COVID among all the other issues. So I'm certainly not isolating that as the only issue, but, uh, trucking became front and center, didn't it? And just, you know, the ability to move goods and services. And so talk about how that affected, you just moved there for them, right? You literally just moved your, your home and family to Chattanooga in order to take a job (laughs) at a place that was being disrupted from outside of itself. What, what was that like?
2: the TA organization itself needed a cultural disruption anyways. And so um, while the pandemic was difficult or kickoff of the pandemic was difficult, it actually, I would say, hell, has helped with this transformation. And that outside of just recruiting, you know, US Express as a whole prior, and our CEO has said this many times prior to the pandemic, remote work was not an option, right? Uh-huh. And, and I think yeah. we have found over the past, you know, year and a half, two years that it works. And, and I will say it definitely works within recruiting, within our team. I mean, we are running a very large recruiting organization. We Everybody's remote. We have people, you know, Florida, Chicago, all over the United States, and that's okay. And I, and I think that works, right?
1: Yeah. And, and it's it sort of um, maybe provided the platform for change that would have been much more difficult otherwise. I don't know about you, but in my experience, inheriting a team is hard period. Yeah. Because they've got their ways of working. They've got their own culture, their rhythm, you inherit a team and you're sort of breaking into a club and, uh, it's, it's difficult. So since other stuff was already being disrupted and they had to figure out new ways of working anyway, do you feel like it made it maybe a little bit easier for you to bring the, the level of change you were looking to, to bring?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I would say it it may have, you know, and I would say the team here, what was interesting is I, I think we thought it's kind of the same thing. I mean, definitely had to disrupt the culture, but they were so hungry for some sort of change though, too, which was really interesting. You know, at first it's always fear that going back to, you know, the beginning of the conversation of having a plan, I am very transparent with my team. Again, it's, it's not just about at an executive level, no surprises. I think you have to, You have to live that same culture with your team. So there definitely became an appetite to not only, you know, not only be excited about it, to be part of it. And I'll use uh, one of the pieces you said is what's pivotal. It's been pivotal in your career. One of the things I picked up from Regis was these committees, right? And so... Uh, these franchise councils and committees. And within recruiting here, we have a recruiting advisory committee, right? And it's a group of individuals. It's somebody new, different departments within recruiting. We have all sorts of different groups from corporate confirmations, the driver recruiting. And then you might have tenured folks and people that work on different, this is a, a a committee that helps advise on recruiting change. And so before we go launch anything crazy, uh, before we go make any major changes, I bring it to this group we talk about. it A lot of times I might have an idea, but they're the front face they're the ones actually speaking with the driver. And they're like, this is a terrible idea or you should be thinking <laughs> about it from this way. We love this idea, but you're missing this little piece. Or they, you know, a lot of times they'll be like, We love this. How quickly can we help drive this change throughout the team?
1: And did you choose those recruiting or or talent acquisition advisory team members or yeah, we had that people
2: vote? So we had mm-hmm. we had individuals vote. I did put out there, you know, like here's kind of what I'm looking for. We don't I don't want everybody to I want people that are looking to challenge me, right? I don't want everybody to be like, This is great. I want you to think of what what can you really provide feedback on that's going to drive positive change, right? Not just change to change. What's going to drive uh going back kind of what's that economic return and, and for everybody, not just the organization. Uh so we had individuals choose.
1: Well, that's a it's a classic change management technique. What's tricky about it though is that you wanna make sure, as you said, you have people who are going to challenge you and not just Yes, people. But that can be that can make it difficult, too, because if you really want to be innovative, you might find that there are some people who just contest or hang on to the status quo for maybe some other reasons. So have you have you struggled with that at all? Or do you feel like
2: you, know, yeah, you guys are on the same page? Definitely, for sure. Um, You know, and sometimes when you go through change. I'll give two examples. So for specifically within that committee, you'll have you will absolutely have that. But what's been really interesting is that you know, when you had people vote on who, you want to make sure it's not a popularity contest, right? And so some of the individuals on that committee, though, if somebody is stuck in their ways, I we don't even have to speak up. Some of the individuals on that committee are like, hey, you gotta stop doing that. You're the, you're the you're part of the problem of why things aren't changing, and so which is interesting, right? And so That type of collaboration, but still be having enough respect for one another to be able to speak up and push back. They're they're doing that, which I found interesting. And then you are, I mean, you're totally right. When you go through change, you are going to find that some people are either in the wrong seat of the bus. It doesn't mean that they're not a good employee. You just have to find and make sure that they get on the right seat of the bus, right? Find what works for them, what's great for their background, where can they be successful? And then on the same, and we definitely went through here. You know, there's, there's sometimes where people are great performers, may have performed great in the past, but they can just not get on the vision, uh, and especially going through a transformation like this. And at that point, you, you, as a leader, you have to make those difficult decisions, right? Just because someone may produce great numbers, if they are not a culture fit or if they're uh, toxic within the team, you have to you have to execute and make a change. Okay. So we had to do that as well.
1: All right. Well, let's talk about the kind of the big solution that you brought to US Express. You had already implemented, I think, Paradox, right? Paradox yeah. Olivia at. Regis, that was kind of the the big kahuna there um, that, that helped them transform. Although I don't want to make that assumption that, that it was the tool itself that was the big thing. Was there a whole process re-engineering around it? And then that was just the tool that automated things? Or what, how did you think about it?
2: You know, at Regis at the time, uh, yes, Paradox was definitely instrumental to the change there. And, and I think what was interesting there is you had a very archaic process. But then you had corporate salons competing with franchise salons, which is a very, you know, you have your corporate salons with all sorts of different technology, uh, applicant tracking systems, which is, you know, at that time, um, pumping candidates in and then you had franchisees with nothing. I mean, not even an applicant tracking system, right. And so you had these corporate salons that are funneling all the candidates and franchisees that are standing there with their hands open, like, hey, I've invested You know a lot of my savings in here i've got (laughs) i've got to make sure i've got talent and so that paradox helped with that but obviously not the only solution that was implemented there i think that's what's that when you think of that bias you can't go in and say hey here's here's what this can do and here's how i'm going to implement it because this is what i've done in the past you've got uh, and actually paradox did a great job at helping us with this but i'm going to jump from regis to us express Uh, One of the things we did at US Express that we also did at Regis was go map the entire recruiting journey, right? And a lot of people think like, hey, we know that this, this, this happens. and We've got like two, three boxes. I'm talking a whiteboard from the very beginning to the very end of the process and then start having those conversations of like, hey, here's where... This technology could help make an impact. Where's the impact happening? Is it happening to the bottom line for the organization? Is it happening uh, to the experience for the canner? Is it happening for the experience of the recruiter? And start to roadmap that together, right? And, that, and that's exactly what we did here. Paradox has been actually part of the solution for US Express, but not, again, not the only part of the solution. Conversational AI works great, but there's a lot of pieces, especially within trucking, that require RPA, which is totally different type of technology, but um, that you have to implement, and then you got to make sure the two systems talk together. So all sorts of different technology, but I think we talked about that plan. That has probably been where I've had the most success of just, and and it can change, but mapping out your entire candidate journey all the way through gives you a visual, you have a team together, don't just pull in recruiting, you have to have HR business partners that are part of that conversation, you have to have operators part of that conversation, Everybody buy-in, agree, shake hands, lock arms, and execute.
1: Yeah. Um, so RPA though, so you said that takes a different technology. Can can you talk about that specifically? What are what are you using and what is it that you're automating?
2: Yeah, so for RPA specifically, um, you know, I'll use specifically for US Express. There's a lot of processes that a driver has to go through, right? They need an entire DOT application. Um, the great thing about trucking is we ha- they already have vendors within the organization that do automate a lot of this uh, within our applicant tracking system, but there's pieces that we specifically do here and that the industry have to do. And instead of having conversational AI talking with the candidate, RPA helps in the background that the candidate doesn't even realize is happening, right? So it is walking through and automating a lot of the processes, steps, procedures that would take, you know, maybe... We had typically did a Monday through Friday, nine to five. It could be happening nonstop. Uh,
1: So if you've got multiple technologies that need to talk to each other, um, talk about that. You're not an IT guy. You're not a programmer. You know, how did you figure out where the interfaces needed to happen and what help did you need to get?
2: Yeah, so I definitely always have a great uh, technology partner within the organization, right? Um, but I am a huge proponent that you have to push your vendors. I think there's, uh, I'm going to, I'll pick on paradox for a minute, right? So a lot of times when you think of conversational AI, it is typically what comes in the box, right? Here's here's how you implement it on your website. Here's how you implement it in within a couple of your systems. Here's, here, fill out this, you know, 400 question Excel document of what might come back and forth between the candidate and implement it. And we're gonna call it a success. I think, and I'm using just conversational AI as, a, as an example here, but I think this applies to all vendors. I think you have to push your vendors to be outside the box, right? And, and Paradox was a good example of that for us of like, here here's our whiteboard, Here's where we want to utilize you. This is not something that is an outside of the box solution. We're going to need specific code written for this. We're going to need specific solutions for this, but we want to be able to partner with you. And then I think applying that to all your vendors across the board, right? I mean, we've definitely, I think in this seat, you definitely have to have difficult conversations with vendor partners to say, hey, we want to continue to partner with you, but if it can't get us to X, whatever that X might be, it may not be the right partner. It may not be the right fit for us. And a lot of times they come to that conclusion too, right? If you're not, if you definitely are pushing the status quo a little bit and causing waves, some vendors are like, that is not us. One of the pieces we did with one of our uh, vendors was, hey, we we said, okay, you think of a chap on, right? Or you think of a persona or an avatar. That may come with uh, the conversation happening with the candidate. We're like, how do we make this a better experience for the candidate? Like, we don't want just one avatar that lives. How do you how do you use data or statistics to make it so that we can try to have the best match within a candidate? So what we did, one of our vendors is we partnered to say, okay, let's use census data. And if an IP address pings within San Antonio, Texas, I'm making these numbers up. I'm not looking at a screen, but let's say. Within San Antonio, 55% of the population is Hispanic and 57% is female. Again, I have no idea what San Antonio's uh, census date is, but that avatar would be presented as a Hispanic female, right? And that, uh, that avatar would attach to the IP address and follow that candidate throughout their entire journey. So not only having the conversation of job search, but maybe walking them through onboarding or sending the text message. Uh, that says, hey, your flight has been delayed, you know, all sorts of different conversations with the Canada there. They have that one avatar. So now at US Express, we have military avatars, we have shop avatars, we have corporate avatars, we have avatars of all sorts of different ethnic backgrounds, genders, I mean, and we're and we're not even close to where we want to go yet. But that was something that we couldn't find. We we're like, we want to do this and we just can't find it out there. So we're going to create it. We're going to be the first ones that do it.
1: Yeah. Wow. That, I mean, that's true innovation. And it's something that was already on the on the design table for Paradox? Or did you literally bring that idea to, to them and say, we want this. Can you create it?
2: Yeah, we brought it to Paradox, and okay. what was interesting about Paradox is they were like, "Okay, we have no idea how to do this, but we will figure it out." <laughs> so cool. that's kind of the and, that, and they definitely helped uh, contribute to that.
1: When I think about you know corporate leaders and TA leaders who are challenged with taking practical steps that will increase diversity in their organization. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We are often a little bit stuck when it comes to that. We think uh, we need to source in more diverse places. We need to. But what about, you know, helping candidates throughout the process feel more comfortable you know, or feel like they're in a place where people, you know, look and and connect with their culture. I mean, that that's just huge. I mean, where did that idea come from? Was that just sort of something you dreamed up one night, or did, did that yeah, come from your advisory to, board you, or what?
2: No. So the, it was an idea I thought of a lot. Actually, it was outrageous. Um, I was like, how do we how do we do this? The technology just wasn't there yet. But uh, yeah, just an idea of like how do you make it easier. But then on the flip side of that, you know, there's all sorts of benefits to that from like. Yeah, if we t- At the beginning, we talked about how do you drive, you know, you want to make it easier for your recruiters, yep. you want to make it easier for the candidate. you still have to drive an economic return. Mm-hmm. Recruiting in high volume is all a numbers game, right? Yeah. And so part of that is also bounce rates. And so there's certain areas where you can still drive an economic return, mm-hmm. you provide a better candidate experience. And if the candidate feels great about the experience, is not, a lot of times you have conversations with AI, the experience isn't great, right? And so if you can really make sure that this conversation is great and the experience is great, makes the recruiter's lives easier because a lot of that process is automated throughout the process. So with that specific one, you kind of checked all boxes for everybody.
1: Really interesting innovation. Thank you for sharing the details on that. It's uh, sometimes a little hard to get into the details, but that's what podcasts are for, right? A little bit more the, the long format. You were, by the way, in the Minneapolis 32 under 32, right? Just curious, how did that happen? Did somebody nominate you? Did you apply? Did somebody just out of the blue say, We, we think you, you're you doing good stuff?
2: Yeah, so we were doing some innovation, not only within automation, but uh, media, right? And, and a lot of recruiting has basically become a huge piece as media, right? And so uh, that 32 under 32 is actually for media, wasn't it? It was actually a marketing 32 under 32. Cool. Um, and so one that within talent acquisition. I, I don't know if there was other... I th- Actually, there was a couple other talent acquisition leaders there too. But the majority of the people you were competing against were marketing individuals. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Was nominated. Again, I've said I've met great mentors uh, throughout my past. One of my mentors at Alorca was like, Hey, this is something really cool and interesting. I think I'd, I'm going to throw your name in there. Um, and so yeah, it was, it was a cool experience. And not just winning the award is obviously great. Everybody wants accolades for uh, certain things like that. But meeting some of the individuals within that group, right? I mean, that you're, you're talking about just, I feel, marketing geniuses that have all sorts of different creative ideas. And that's kind of where I would say the best part that came out of that was meeting some individuals that could help me think differently about TA. A lot of times, you know, what we're... Advertising to a consumer in air quotes, same strategy you can apply to talent acquisition and yeah. advertise the candidates. No,
1: completely. Yeah, makes sense. And uh, yeah. pretty cool crowd to be in. And yeah. I, I like your I like your uh, twist on it. Is it's not a not just about getting the recognition. It's about being in a crowd of people you can learn from.
2: Yes, exactly.
1: So, very cool. And then I would be remiss. In interviewing you, if I did not mention the really interesting mindfulness-based stress reduction certification (laughs) that you have from the University of Minnesota, what?
2: (laughs) Talk about that. I was—I thought there was so I was at a organization. It was Elite Medical Scribes. It was purchased by Scribe America, and it was a fast growth company. I mean, we again high volume, our success. at the time before it was purchased, we were listed as one of the fastest growing companies within the Twin Cities. All of that was based off Scribe headcount. Um, And anytime you go through, uh, I personally think like this crazy growth, you are living, breathing, sleeping (laughs) the company. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is all you think about. And actually CEO uh, said, Hey, we're going to put everybody through this course. Never heard of it before. It was probably one of the most interesting things I've ever just different techniques that you can use, how to read your team to be able to ensure that they, you know, because it's not it's not just you as a leader that's going through the stress. You think you're stressed as a leader, right? It's your employees are probably 10 times more stressed. Mm -hmm. Uh, So how do you catch that and try to get ahead of it? How do you try to sell this fast growth type environment to make sure your teammates are bought into it and can see the vision while still working through that stress. It was was a really, really interesting course.
1: I'll bet. I'll bet. And I bet you've used it pretty much every day since. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And then you're Six Sigma certified as well. Uh, Was that a personal choice or again, sort of organizational initiative?
2: Yeah. So that was a personal choice. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, a lot of, especially as you go through, uh, you know, my specialty is kind of how do you automate processes right all kind of goes back to automation and put people in the right seats for them get really smart people together and combined with automation just makes a a wild success story but um i thought you know you're going through this automation and mapping out and trying to figure out what works i thought this this is probably a certification that uh, i should add to my toolkit right This this will help me make smart decisions it will help me push on some different areas to make sure that we're not just doing waste because technology is great, but if you're just implementing technology to implement technology becomes a waste, right? So that was a personal one that that I have used quite a bit.
1: So we're almost out of time, Jacob, but when you and I originally talked about having this discussion, I told you that a number of my listeners are not only existing senior leaders in talent acquisition like you are, but also those who are aspiring to be leaders in the future. So what advice would you give to the, let's call it the Nineteen or twenty-year-old Jacob Kramer, who didn't yet even have a clue about talent acquisition, <laughs> in terms of you know what what you do differently or what learnings that you've had, what what advice would you give yourself?
2: You know, I would tell myself, and I, I think I followed it, but don't settle, right? And be okay to fail. I mean, I think you know, as I first started, even sometimes, you know, I'll say within trucking, this is not a it's it's not the sprint, right? It's a marathon, and sometimes you get into these situations, I mean, there's all sorts of different variables. And you start to question like, Oh, was this the right move? Was this? It's like, that's okay. Like, it's not going to be perfect every single time. And I think when I was, you know, at the beginning of my career, you were always so afraid to fail on something or to disappoint someone. And looking back, I, I wish I would have just said, it's okay. Like everybody's going to fail. You're going to make mistakes, put in 100% of the effort. Don't expect anybody else to give you anything. You earn everything that. Uh, you can, and so I, I, I think that'd be the advice I would, I would, I would give. Don't be afraid to fail.
1: I think that is uh, the, a great place to end because you know that fear of failure, I think, hamstrings a lot of people. And uh, we're if we're ever going to kind of make big changes in talent acquisition and business, so exactly to your point earlier, it has to have a business impact, or it's not even interesting or important. Yeah. Um. You 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 gotta break a few eggs to make the omelets. Some delicious omelets, hopefully. Ooh, I like
2: that analogy. That's a
0: good one. <laughs> right.
1: All right. Well, this has been uh, just a great conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you pushed off about six other meetings in order to, for us to record here, and uh, it's much appreciated. And, and my listeners are going to benefit.
0: So thanks very much.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Have a good one, everyone.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. This podcast is independently produced in collaboration with ere.net and we would love to hear your feedback. You can email Erin directly at e-p-e-t-e-r-s-o-n at people-results.com. You can also follow Erin on Twitter at Erin McPeterson, connect with her on LinkedIn and learn more about her practice at people-results.com.